Well, good morning. I've got to say, I have a huge, what's the right word? Well, I don't want to use the word hatred. I have a huge dislike for smartphones. And I'm going to tell you why. Because before smartphones, today is the day that you would have showed up for Sunday school unintentionally. Before these phones started changing time and we started using them as alarm clocks, we used to have mass groves of people show up for Sunday school and I loved it. We called we, we it back to Sunday school Sunday because um, everybody had unintentionally. I sit out there with my yogurt this morning, eating my yogurt. Nobody unintentionally showed up. I was kind of hurt. Dad, Jim, you Steve Jobs. But regardless, um, this morning, I'm going to be honest with you, I've struggled over this message for uh, two weeks now. One of the reasons I've struggled over this message is because when you start going through Hebrews, you start to see a lot of things repeat. And I struggle because I don't want to preach the same sermon over and over again, and I don't know why, because I mean, I don't even remember what Aaron preached on last Sunday, so y'all probably won't remember what I preach on either. Just joking, Aaron, calm down. (laughs) Our purpose and goal, I remember. But at the same time, when I was looking at this, I seen something in Hebrews chapter 10 that really caught my eye. And for the title, I struggled with the title as well, because part of me wanted to call this sermon Religious Socialism, All the Blessing with None of the Work, but I didn't think that would be a good title with the election right now. So today's sermon title is Sacrificial Worship. So I want to ask you a question with that. Does God desire modern day sacrifice? Think on it for a second. Does God desire modern day sacrifice? sacrifice. From what we've been reading throughout the book of Hebrews, we know automatically that the sacrifices that are talked about in Hebrews are the animal sacrifices. And if we look at it from the surface level of that question, we can honestly say, no, God does not desire any more animal sacrifices. But that was not the question. The question was, does God desire modern day sacrifices? It's an extremely loaded question. It's a question that can be taken wrong in so many ways. And today I'm going to do my best not to do it in one of those ways. When we look at it from a surface level, there's no issue. We have no problem. But when we look at it from a deeper level of sacrifice, not just animal sacrifices, but sacrifices that we may actually be called to partake in, it causes conflict. It causes conflict in us because a sacrifice is giving up something. A sacrifice is honestly depriving yourself of something. And with the type of animal sacrifices, you know, yes, they were depriving themselves of their best animals. They were depriving themselves of their best choice flock. But there's things that we need to deprive ourselves of today as well. Let me ask you a question. Does God tell us to sacrifice popularity? Got quiet for a second, didn't it? Because to reference a scripture that Aaron used last week, in Galatians 1.10 it says... For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? We all know that when we're seeking the approval of man, we're seeking popularity. Or am I trying to please man? Again, popularity. If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Yes, God calls us to sacrifice popularity. Let's go a little bit deeper. Does God tell us to sacrifice comfort? 
We're in a completely comfortable room. I know for some of you people, it's either too hot or too cold. But all around, it's actually pretty comfortable. I'm sweating, so I know most of you are comfortable. Teresa's fanning, so I know most of you are comfortable. <laughs> Kari, we're not even going there. But there are multiple times that we see Jesus sacrificing comfort. Actually, one of the first temptations that Christ has put before him is actually the temptation of comfort. Christ had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. The first thing Satan throws at him, if you're the son of God, turn that rock into bread. Now for us who are from the South, we understand comfort food. You know what I mean? Fried chicken, casseroles, banana pudding, those things bring us comfort. They bring us satisfaction. What's crazy is the same things that bring us comfort actually kill us faster, but we're not going there. But we understand comfort food. So we understand, my wife understands rolls. That woman loves bread more than anything in the world. I could put a steak in front of her or a yeast roll in front of her. What do you think she's gonna choose? A yeast roll, every time. I don't understand it. We, Thanksgiving's coming up. Here's what's gonna happen at Thanksgiving. What do we have at Thanksgiving? Everybody has it. Turkey and? Dressing is a what? It's a bread. You know what else we're gonna have? We're gonna have yeast rolls, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Why? Because we understand comfort food. It brings comfort to us. Jesus was tempted with comfort bread. And Jesus' reply is, Matthew 4, 4 says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does God call us to sacrifice comfort? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go one more. Does God call us to sacrifice pleasure? Now, I'm gonna be honest with you, in the context of the American church, this is not something that we're very, very privy to. It's hard for us to really understand sacrifice because most of us have never had to sacrifice a pleasure for the sake of our beliefs, have we? Most of us have never been held at gunpoint saying, renounce Christ or you will die. Most of us have never had to give up possessions for the sake of Christ, have we? Now, no, most of us have not even had to forsake our family because of Christ. So this whole thing of sacrificial worship in this aspect, it's actually really new to the American church. But I would be ready because there is a day coming where it will not be that case. But yes, God does call us to sacrifice pleasure. First John chapter two, verses 15 and 16 say, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, pleasures, the desires of the eyes, possessions, and the pride of life, arrogance, is not from the Father, but of the world. So not only does God call us to sacrifice pleasure, he also calls us to sacrifice possessions and even pride. So, does God desire modern day sacrifice? Absolutely. But at the same time, we have to be careful. We have to be careful because of the intent behind these sacrifices today. And some of that will be seen, believe it or not, in Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll be going through 1 through, 14, uh, 1 through 18, and then I'm going to go back and hit on some of it. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things of, of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered 
But the worshipers, might want to underline that word, have once been cleansed, would no longer have had conscious of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of the sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, underline that too, you have not taken pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he was perfected for all times those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind, and I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness on these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Pray with me. Father, like I said this morning in my time with you, if I preach this message, I can really mess it up, Lord. So I am, I'm asking for your guidance on the words that not only come from my mouth, but also, Lord, the words that come from your word. Father, we are here this morning, Lord, desiring to hear from you, from your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to understand what this word has for us this morning. Father, even though I know this book was written to Hebrews almost 2,000 years ago, there are so many applications that still apply to us today. So, Father, I ask that you would help us to take these truths, apply them to our lives, and help us, Lord, to live sacrificially for you. Not because we have to, but out of adoration to you for the sacrifice that you give to us. It's through your Son, Jesus Christ's name, that I humbly pray. Amen. The whole aspect of sacrifice, us having to sacrifice, brings a lot of unease to us. And part of it is, is because we are not good at sacrificing. We are not good at denying ourselves of the things of this world. Look, I don't deny much that passes across my plate. I blame my mom. Because my mom told me to clean my plate every time it's put before me. So whenever somebody puts food before me, I feel like i got to clean my plate. Just joking, I'm not blaming mom. But I'm still, I'm not good at denying my flesh. I'm not good at denying my desires. You know what I mean? Any of you ever have somebody cut you off in traffic and your desire wants to do something about it? 
Sometimes your desire does overwhelm you and it causes you to do something about it. Maybe you get on the rear end. Maybe you, um, y'all remember that? We're constantly in this battle with our desires and our will. And in us denying ourselves of these things, what we need to understand is this is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice to deny ourselves of these things. And even though the main context of this scripture is Old Testament sacrifices, there's still a lot of things that we can pick from this. One of the things that we can pick from this is in verses one and two, that sacrifice is worship. Notice he's talking about how the people of old, of old times, would come and they would offer their bulls, they would offer their cows, they would offer their sheep, they would offer all these things. And he tells them, the worshipers, the worshipers were doing this. Worship and sacrifice go hand in hand because they were told to do this from a long time ago. Which means if they were following in what they were told, of the sacrifice, the sacrifice is actually more so about obedience. And we've talked about this many times, church. Obedience is worship as well. In today's corporate worship, I want you to think about this. Today's time, right now, we've got 130, 130 to 150 here. It's hard to judge. Some of you spread out. Some of you like to move around. I wish y'all would stay in one place. Makes it easier on me. But I want you to think about this. In a way, there is a sacrifice that's been made for you to be here. Every single one of you have made this a priority in your life. I'm wrong. If you hadn't, you wouldn't be here. And the fact that 135 to 150 people all did it at one time, that's pretty amazing. Think about it just in the nation, just in our denomination. Right now, there's somewhere around 446,000 people in our denomination alone who are meeting together at this time. Well, maybe an hour later because of time zone. But they're still dedicating a portion of their life to this time to come together in an act of worship. Even though we don't understand true sacrifice in our lives, there are things that we do unintentionally that are sacrifice. Every single one of us have something else we can be doing right now. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Every single one of us have some things that we can catch up on at home. Is all y'all's laundry done? If I were to go to your house right now, would I find laundry in your laundry basket? If you go to my house right now, you find laundry everywhere. It never gets done. When you got boys that wear three outfits a day, I don't understand it. I will never give women a hard time. I give seven-year-old boys a hard time. Seriously, three outfits a day. One set of pajamas, one set of school clothes, one set of play clothes. Oh, four outfits, then another set of pajamas to go to bed in. What the heck? It's, un, it's never ending. But there's other things in our life that we could use to occupy our time. So in a sense, yes, we do understand sacrifice because we are coming together to sacrifice our time in worship and praise to Him corporately, together. That's an amazing, beautiful thing. Never take it for granted. But in verse three, it also tells us that the sacrifices are a reminder. In those days, the sacrifices were a reminder of the people's sin that is constantly before them. Praise Jesus. We don't have that burden on us anymore. We are not constantly reminded about the sacrifice or about the sins that we have committed. But what I am constantly reminded about, even in my own personal sacrifices, is that 
when I sacrifice things in my life, it's nothing compared to the sacrifice of my Lord and Savior. It doesn't even hold a glimpse of the sacrifice that he had for me. And then you go on in verse four and it says, sacrifice isn't about paying God back. This is an important one that I want to hang on to before we get into the real meat of what this scripture said. It says that the blood of goats and bulls could never wash away man's sin. And you know, they were doing those sacrifices in a way of trying to pay back God for all the bad things they've done. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I see a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ get caught up in this today as well. We have this feeling that we owe God something. Am I wrong? Any of you struggle with that other than me? You feel like you need to pay God back for what he's did? But do you realize how foolish that thought even is? How can you honestly pay back someone who gave their life for you? How can you even come close? How do you even start to measure? I mean, is it like a piggy bank that you start putting coins in? Okay, I did this today. I did this today. I did this today. But the size of that piggy bank is the size of this room. It's impossible to even begin to pay back God for what he's done. And these sacrifices that they were offering would never, never wash away the sins. You can never pay God back for what Christ did on the cross. But God doesn't want back payment. Let me, refer, let me say that one more time. God doesn't want back payment because when Christ said it is finished, he meant the debt is canceled. You owe me nothing. You owe me absolutely nothing. The debt is clear. So what does God desire? The psalmist in Psalms 51 says that he desires a broken and contrite spirit. Because see, when you're dealing with a broken and contrite spirit, that's when you're dealing with a humility to which service to God is pure. When you're dealing with someone who is truly broken on the inside and we're all broken, we continually stay broken. And they know it, their service or sacrifice, it's not about back payment. It's not about a reminder of their sin. And it's not about trying to undo something that they did. It's about absolute and complete devotion to God. So many times last week, I almost told Aaron, shut up, you're getting too close to my sermon. Please, just be quiet. You're getting too close. But that's the amazing thing in how God works. So what does? What does modern day sacrifice look like for us? Well, let's look at what sacrifice looked like for Jesus. And then we'll see how that applies to us. There in verse five. Think about this for a minute. When he comes into the world, he being Christ, come into what? This world. Where was he before? Where was he before? Before he come to this earth, where was he? Huh? He's with the Father. At the right hand of God. And Wednesday, I had to blow Jerry off a little bit. Sorry, Jerry. But Jerry come to me with this question. The question he posed to me, how is it that the son of man would come to this earth as dust? 
Think about that for a minute. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of the Father, come to earth and became dust. It's kind of like a Georgia fan becoming a Tennessee fan. Sorry, Sabrina. Sorry. Sorry. Not really. But think about that for a minute. Have you ever really wrapped your mind around that? Christ, in a perfect heaven, left that place, left perfection, left daily worship. The angels worship him. The heavenly host worship him daily. Left perfection and come to an earth riddled with ridicule, hatred, disease, sickness, everything horrible that you can think of. Who in their right mind would do that? And to answer your question, Jerry, I still ain't figured it out either. I can't understand it, guys. I can't understand why Christ would come from his throne and come to this earth. Because when Christ came to this earth, he abandoned his position. He abandoned his position. And he took the form of one of us. Only Jesus, only Jesus has the authority and right to make a final judgment. Can we all agree on that? Do we all agree on that? Only Jesus Christ has the authority and right to make a final judgment. Well, let me ask you this. With that in mind, have you ever heard of a judge paying a settlement for someone who was guilty? Anybody ever heard that? I've never heard of anything like that. I've never heard of a judge hitting the gavel, pronouncing the person guilty, and then paying the debt that that person owed. I just can't wrap my mind around anyone who did that, who would do that, but that is exactly what Jesus done. Because Jesus is the only judge that we ever know of that faced the executioner. He is the only judge that stepped himself off the bench and faced the executioner that we deserve to face. And when you wrap your mind around that, when you think about that, it makes you realize how great his love is for us. But if you look at verses seven and nine, you also see that he came not of his own will, but to do the will of God, to do the will of the Father. 19 times throughout the Gospels, Jesus keeps constantly telling his disciples, I have come to do the Father's will. He makes it a point to tell them, this is not about me. It's about what our Father desires. And I know, when you take that whole Trinity thing, it wrestles in my mind all the time. But let's think about this for a minute. Because Jesus came to do what the Father willed. And this is where our issue really comes in. Because see, we have a will too, don't we? Brian, do you have a will? Do you have a desire on what you want to do? I was going to ask Jennifer, but I know Jennifer's got a will. Strong. What about you, Malachi? You got a will? You got a desire for your life? You got ambitions? Hmm. How about you, Joey? You got a will? You got desires? You got ambitions? See, all of us have these things. We all have these things that we want to do. But every once in a while in our life, another will 
comes on us that really doesn't clash with what we want to do, what we desire to do, and what our ambitions are. I'm going to be honest with you. There was a time in my life when I was perfectly happy on a bulldozer, moving hydraulics, not a care in the world, and then God hits me with this. Preach my word. When I read those words, I threw my Bible on the floor and I said, what else you got, God? We all have those issues where we know that God has something greater for our life. And when we have these things that God has that are greater for us and they come against what we will, there's this huge contradiction that takes place in our life. And when we give up our will, I want you to understand something. That is sacrifice. But that's exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12. In verses one and two, he says, therefore I urge you, you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Ooh. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A question that every minister gets asked is, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Man, if I had a quarter for every time this was asked to me, we would pave the parking lot, we would build a new building, debt-free. But over the years, I've learned to respond with a question. And that question is, well, what's your will? And they'll look at me kind of strange. What do you mean, what's my will? What do you desire for your life? And they'll start rattling off, you know, well, I want to go to school. I want to do this. I want to do that. And my response to them is, if God's will for your life contradicts what your will is, are you willing to give it up? And you know what's sad? Most of them leave like the rich young ruler. And when he come to Jesus said, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus first says, keep all the commandments. He said, I've done that. I've done every bit of that. What else you got, Jesus? So, okay, take everything you got, go sell it, give it to the poor and follow me. And the rich young ruler leaves with his tail tucked between his legs. Most of the time when people ask me, how do I find God's will for my life? Most of the time they don't like the answer. And you say, well, Scotty, how do you know they don't like the answer? Because I'm just being honest with you. I really didn't like his answer for me either. But now that I've tasted it, now that I've experienced it, there's nothing in life I'd rather do. The scripture that's being quoted here is actually from Psalms 40. And in Psalms 40, because this is where I've come to in my life, the psalmist reads it a little bit different than it's wrote here in Hebrews. The psalmist says, I delight to do thy will. 
Do you delight to do the will of God? If we're honest, not always. Not always, because whenever we do the will of God, we're not doing our will. But when you taste and see that the will of God is good, you experience it. It's amazing. But I want you to realize who is saying these words. Christ is the one really saying these words. I delight in doing your will. And why does he delight in doing our will? Because the Father's will of Christ's sacrifice for us is what saves us. It's what saves us. So eight years ago, I asked many of you a question. Some of you have never heard this question before. But I really want you to think about this question. Parents, future parents, even you teenagers, think about this. What would you do to ensure that your children come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? What would you do? Now that I'm a parent, I can honestly say this. Eight years ago, it was hard for me to say this, but now that I'm a parent, I can honestly say this. I would do anything in the world. Grandparents, what would you do to ensure that your grandchildren come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior? You know what? I have a feeling your answer is going to be the same thing. Am I wrong? Tommy? Anything. Marvin? Anything. Carolyn? Carolyn and Carolyn. Y'all got to split up. We can't have two Carolyns on the same pew. In heaven, the first will be last, just letting you know that. <laughs> Both of y'all, what would y'all do to ensure your grandchildren know about Christ? So let me ask you this. What would you desire others to do to make sure your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, your aunts, your uncles, your nieces, your nephews, your mothers, your fathers, your grandpas, your grandmas, your aunts and your uncles, what would you do or what would you desire others to do to ensure that they know about Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior? What would you, what would you desire others do? My answer is anything. How about yours? I desire that nobody would hold back anything from all my family experiencing salvation. But have you ever thought about this? We're somebody else's other one. Somebody else who answers that question with, I desire that they would do anything, they're talking about us. And that's exactly what God willed for us, his children. That nothing would be held back from us experiencing a life with Christ even if it costs the life of Christ himself. This one little insight gives us so much great understanding into the mind of God. And you know what? This understanding and how much God loves for us and how much he was willing to sacrifice for us, it is absolutely life-changing.
life-changing. And you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that I have a wife who understands this. When I first started pastoring the church, there was some very demanding times, wasn't there, Jennifer? I mean, there was times that I may be home one hour a day. Well, we were in a two-week cycle like that. Where honestly, I'd probably been home one hour a day, and I'm not counting the time that I sleep, okay? Because when you sleep, you sleep. You're, not, you're just there. You're existing. And over time, I've had to learn to go with the ebbs and flow. You talked about time management. There's no such thing as time management for a pastor because I can't manage heart attacks. I can't manage car wrecks. I can't manage sickness, and I can't manage divorces. And when those things come about, you go. And it was in a two-week cycle of go, 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 go. I was absolutely drained. Two o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call. A member here is on their way to Piedmont Hospital. And it's severe. Jennifer wakes up and says, what's wrong? I told her what was going on. And I know she could see it in my eyes. Just being real. I was so tired that I really didn't want to go. So in her infinite wisdom, she looks at me and says, do you want me to iron you a shirt? It's two o'clock in the stinking morning. No, I don't want you to iron me a shirt. What in the world are you saying? Do you want me to iron you a shirt? And I didn't say it like that, but this is what's going on in my mind. And she could see, she's smart enough to know what's going on in here. She looks at me and she says, you need to go. Now, I'm not holding her up on a pedestal because that's normally not her reaction, okay? But that moment, that moment I knew she understood the life of sacrifice that I had signed up for as a pastor. She's not the only one. Mary Carnes is another one who fully understands sacrifice. Mary Carnes had a situation happen not too long ago, and I do have permission to share this, where the, her and Jerry were coming back across the mountain. Um, motorcycle, lost a little bit of control, slid right up underneath Mary's car. Jerry gets out, like I would, pretty upset. Mary's the calm one. We all know that she's calm. Calm down now. Mary starts conducting the conversation with the gentleman and the gentleman says, please, please, is there any way that we cannot turn this, on in, turn this in on insurance and I will pay you outright for the damage? Mary, being the person that she is, says, that'll be fine. They exchange numbers. Jerry comes in that same afternoon and tells me what's going on. The first thing that goes on through my mind is, Mary ain't getting a bit of money. Mary just got suckered. Two days later, the guy calls her. Says, ma'am, I got your money and I'd like to meet you. He drives up here. He gives her the money. She turns around and gives him a Bible and tells him, I don't know where you stand with God. But, and I'm just paraphrasing this. but I love you and I care about you. And I'm gonna be honest with you, there ain't many men in this room that would have done that, would we? We would have chewed him out from one end to the other for coming around the corner on the mountain like that. We would have told him how dangerous that was and how much danger he put our life, wife's life in. 
we would have told him everything that he did wrong. But Mary sacrificed her position for a chance to share the gospel. And sometimes I wonder, am I willing to say that'd be fine? Am I willing to say, do you want me to iron you a shirt? Am I willing to give up my position like Christ did in order that others may know about him? In verse 15, it tells us that the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about the will of God. From Genesis to Revelation, this book is God-inspired. God breathed. Man penned, God authored. And in this word, we see nothing but sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice of men and women who so heartedly believed in the gospel that they walked away from their job. Some of them walked away from their families. Some of them even gave up their own life. Sometimes I have to ask, would I be that sacrificial? Would I be willing to put my life on the line like many of these men and women did in here? A true believer knows what they want to do. But a true believer also knows what they should do. And that's where many of us find ourselves on a daily basis. On the dilemma about what we want to do and the dilemma with what we should do. And they're not always the same. But yes, there is no more animal sacrifices. In Psalms 40, it says it. The sacrifices that they're talking about is for sin. But there are still sacrifices that believers make on a daily basis all over the world. And the reason they make these sacrifices is because they follow the example of Jesus Christ. Because they are disciples, they follow in the sacrificial life of Jesus Christ. And this is the same life that we're called to. And I know many of you in here right now are wrestling with this. Could God call me to give up something that I desire for his glory? You better believe he can. But the question really isn't about will he? The question is really, will you? Are you willing like Aaron said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. Because sacrifice is worship. And sacrifice is still a reminder of the sacrifice that God made for us. But sacrifice is not a back payment of things that is owed to God. Sacrifice is a response to Christ for what he has did for us. Nothing more, nothing less. What's the Holy Spirit calling you to sacrifice? Let 
Father, on a daily basis, there's a war that goes on within me of what I want to do and what I should do. Father, I am sorry to say, and you know it, that you don't always win the battle. Sometimes, Father, my flesh is so strong that I give in even to the desires of it. But Father, I come to you, we come before you, Lord, as imperfect Christians, as imperfect believers, as imperfect children, asking not only for your guidance, but also for your help. And I know many of us are wrestling inside right now. What would you have us give up? While the context of this scripture, Lord, is mainly about the animal sacrifices, the main point of this sacrifice or this scripture is the sacrifice that was made for us. We say, Lord, we're your disciples. We say we're followers of Jesus. So, Lord, what would you will that we do? We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.